G'day ladies and gents, welcome to Life of Mine, Matty Michael here and I'm here each week to bring you some down to earth conversations with a whole range of characters. We talk about mining, we talk about life, we talk about absolutely bloody anything and we do it in true Aussie fashion. So if you like an unpolished yarn where the level of professionalism can significantly vary each week, then Life of Mine is where it's bloody at. Rightio, in this episode we're getting down and dirty with Rebecca Johnston who is a sex relationship and intimacy coach or more formally known as a sexologist and she specialises in helping people overcome their sex relationship and intimacy challenges and her business, Rostered Relationships, focuses specifically on the FIFO and Dido community and we unpack everything in this yarn from couples struggling after pregnancies to masturbation to open relationships and plenty plenty more no topic was off limits so make sure you check out a website rosteredrelationships.com and follow her on facebook this is really raising the bar above married at first sight so let's bloody get into it did you notice when you moved to Australia the different ways or nicknames, colloquial versions of sex that Aussies have? Do can, Canadians and Americans have the same? Or not? It'd be nothing like the Aussies, would it? Nothing like the Aussies. And what's hilarious is, like, back home, we have the clothing company called Roots. Oh, yeah. And, of course, down here, uh, you know, everyone talks about rooting. And so... Oh, so root, is Roots that, isn't even... A, what What are the... Do the Americans have any? What? Any uh, colloquial terms for it? Probably, like, um, sometimes it's hard for me, too, because I've been in Australia for 17 years. So sometimes I forget like what's Canadian and what's Australian. And I kind of have to stop and do that whole take about um, like, what's what? Like, I'm like, what country am I in? What is the saying here? Why are people looking at me like I've got three heads? Um, I'm obviously just said something that nobody understands. <laughs> what's what's one so, of your best, what's one of your best ones? I reckon it'd be, oh, the Aussie ones, a lot. Rootin's probably the commas. Shaggin. <laughs> Shaggin, bloody. I think that's pretty universal, almost, isn't it? Okay, um, that's a universal. Uh, that was an Austin Power. That's a that's more bloody pommy, I think. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I just something funny jumped in. I mean, it's been a long time since so I probably talk, spoke about some of these things, but like um, bumping and grinding that comes back from like high school days. You know, I oh, mean, that's not a, even that's is American. Is I don't even gets, know where that like popped it. in from. <laughs> what else do people say? Shaggin. Go on, Fucking oh, banging, grinding, you know. What, Aussie, like, the Aussie ones, oh, we'll go in and we'll throw the leg over. Well, whatever that means. I've not heard that one. <laughs> you never heard that one? <laughs> what do you reckon, love? Throw the leg over? Usually you end up getting an elbow from the missus. It's, uh, it's the, that's the Aussie bloke. <laughs> what, such, good, such a good in- industry. What, whenever anyone asks Rebecca, what, what do you do for a living? Do they like? Do they get like a eye squint when you say, "Oh, I'm actually a sex coach," or however you describe it? <laughs> or well, it just depends because I think one of the easier ways to describe it is as a sexologist because it's a lot sex- more broad yes. and it can bring in the thing. Because I also do therapy as well, so 
sex therapy, sex coaching, some people in Australia particularly will amalgamate those things together, but I've chosen to separate the two things. So sexologist probably covers it all and people, I mean, like, oh, really? And it's, you know, it's a, it's a great conversation starter. So sometimes, um, sometimes one uses it and sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't just depends on whether I really want to get into a whole conversation about work um, and things or whether I'm actually interested in talking about something else and not, you know, sidelining it with a huge conversation about sex. And because once you start talking about sex, I mean, it's hard to stop sometimes. It's just such an interesting conversation. Well, it's a bit like having it, isn't it? Once you get, once you get going, <laughs> it's funny. You're not going to – like this social media fame you're probably going to get out of this and all the stuff you're doing. You may well be the next – uh, panel judge or whatever they call them, uh, expert on married at first sight. Is this the ultimate <laughs> goal? Is that is that every sexologist's ultimate goal to go and ruin their careers on married at first sight just because it's so bullshit? Oh, uh, I would. You know, I would probably cautiously say no. <laughs> yeah, I, I was, think. Yeah, um, I, I thought as much. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I've seen a few of the shows, and I think. Um. I, I look at it that it's entertainment. And um, I really, I think, well, they have some valuable things that they talk about. I think sometimes there may be, uh, and I can't think of any examples because I haven't seen this season. I think I saw a few last season. This season went downhill massively. Shocking. Oh, did it? Oh, horrible. It's um, too fictitious. It's too obviously fictitious. That's all I said. I reckon they're as sex therapists or, oh, well, I'll forget. One of them had a bloody real fancy term, but uh, I think their reputation's pretty much shattered in that field oh, after wow. going on <laughs> going on to the bloody married at first sight. That's interesting too. It brings up an interesting topic, I think, in terms of like even just therapists, whether you're a sex therapist or any kind of therapist, it's like, there can be this misunderstanding that we should have everything all together, you know, that we should be this perfect um, example and model of how everything's wonderful. Whereas at the end of the day, we're just human as well. And like some things, like when you think of a doctor or a cardio surgeon or someone who's outside having a ciggy, you know, they might know and see all of the reasons why they shouldn't do that. But in their own life, they're still out there chuffing on a ciggy. They're still, they're still a normal human, aren't they? Yeah. So there's, you know, like, um, there's just all of, yeah i think there's a there's a there's a there can be a misunderstanding that, that that people in certain fields should have have it all together themselves and it's just not you know it's most cases it's not the case because you know we're just humans as well it's like it's going to like going to any site a psychiatrist they're like well this person has like is the ultimate uh some of them are bloody out there too <laughs> It can be true, you know, it can be true for, for anything. And it's funny because you think of some trades, you know, you look at um, some trades, like say, uh, for instance, now I'm not going to name any names, but I know a Tyler. And, you know, for, for a while you'd go into his house and, and his tiles weren't finished because, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, he, he did our tiles and they're gorgeous. But, you know, you go to his house, you're like, hey, what's going on with your tiles here? Like... You know, so it's one of those things I think sometimes where we can we can have this uh, a really good skill that we can utilize and with other people in a really good way, and then when we get home, maybe maybe we drop the ball a little bit or 
you know, we're maybe not as perfect as uh, as others might expect us to be. Yeah. So I'll spe- speaking of dropping balls, now, how did you <laughs> fall into this this career of uh, sex relationship and inter- intimacy coaching? Was it like a matter of like when you, as we say in Australia, when you popped your cherry, did you think, right, I'm <laughs> going to teach this for a living? This is awesome. How how did how did it all come about, Rebecca? Yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it? Um, so do you want the long version? or? Well, uh, this is what we're here for. It ain't an advert. Okay. So if I, when I was thinking about this and I thought, if I really think seriously about it, I would say the seed was planted. I think it would have been around 11, somewhere between 11, 12, 13 years old. Jesus we Christ, to- you Americans get into it early. <laughs> um, well, Canadian. Canadian, so America, the, from, uh, from con- the continent, on, from the upper America. parts of the northern. Sorry, oh no, I was referring to the continent, North America. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, we used to have this program. So Sue Johansson, she was, I, I would, she was a sex educator, and she had a program on Q one hundred and seven, which is a Toronto channel, um, and it was called the Sunday Night Sex Show, Sex Show with Sue. And it was fascinating, especially as a, a you know, a young emerging eleven year old. And so I used to sit there, I used to close my bedroom door, turn on my radio, and I used to listen to Sue talk about things I'd never even dreamed of. Like I hadn't heard of oh most of the things she was talking about at that time. But um it was fascinating and I thought can, the can great you try, thing about it she was can you try so sex back- positive. Yeah, can you trace back some of those things as an 11-year-old that you were like, what does that mean? Was there any specific ones you remember? Well, definitely what pops out first is so talking very candidly about anal sex, about vibrators, about using lubes, about all of those things. Like she was just like just on regular radio. You know, it was not, I think it would come on at nine o'clock on a Sunday night or something. And then you just, your whole door just opened, the whole world opened to this whole world of sexuality and positive sexuality. So she was, you know, she's, uh, I'm not sure how old she is now. She must be maybe even in her 70s or 80s. So she was, you know, I mean, I'm now what, my early 40s. So 30 years ago, she seemed older to me anyways, when I was, you know, in my um, uh, 11, you know, what's that? area when you're a teenager preteen so that what i would say would be that seed for me there you go that, that's just like just before you hit puberty you're just getting expired because most uh most people should be in bed by nine o'clock at 11 years old i think that's probably why it was on that time wasn't it <laughs> probably you know probably i'd say i had some permissive parenting and uh I was pretty much running my own show a lot of the time, so uh, that's that is unbelievable. This I would have thought, assumed that this a career like this is something that people, you know, later get an idea of or find themselves getting into. Not before they've even had sex that they want to be an actual <laughs> sex coach. It's pretty unbelievable. Well, I didn't know then that I wanted to be a coach. That was more the seed. So that was a little bit of a seed planted, and then. Where did that go from there? Uh, I don't know. But I think when it comes to finding out that actually I didn't even know sexology was a profession. I seriously had no idea. I mean, I knew that there were sex therapists. I knew things like um, I know through my my undergrad, which is in counseling. I had done um, some training, specific training in 
and sexuality concerns for relationships and things like that. But it wasn't part of the the full curriculum. It was more of a adjunct kind of, maybe adjunct isn't the word, like a side little program that you did. Um, and then it was really strange. So I had finished um, my program. I did a certificate in dance movement therapy because I'm really interested. I've always been really, I always wanted to be a dancer, um, but I didn't, uh, I didn't go to dancing classes or anything like that. So once I got into therapy, I looked into expressive therapy and the use of dance and body in, you know, processing difficult emotions when say words are not enough or things like that. So when I finished that course, I then decided I was a few months out of the course. I was working full time somewhere else. And I thought, I'm going to start a program in, in town, and I'm going to just just do a little trip, because I love to travel. So I thought, I'll just do a little trip around Australia, meet up with a few different dance movement therapists, do a bit of shadowing, so and joining in their groups and seeing how different people are running different things, just to, you know, refresh back in and get some ideas going. And whilst I was on that trip is when I overheard a conversation. Someone was talking about how they were taking a sexology course. And, you know, snap, my head turned around. I was like, oh, excuse me, did, did you say sexology? I've never heard of that before. And um, they said, yeah, taking that at Curtin. And I thought, oh, fabulous. I didn't know Curtin was running such a program. So I was on a week-long trip. And by the end of that trip, I had contacted the university and I was pretty much enrolled in the program. So it was just one of those things where I'd never even heard about it. And then all of a sudden I was in the program and ready and excited to for this next chapter of learning. And I, it really felt like it was the, um, sometimes I look at things like triangles, like it was like that, the apex it was that triangle to bring all of my things together. I just felt really like it was, it was, um, the direction I, I wanted to move in. Yeah. Is now when you're doing these courses, is there a practical component to these courses? Where well, like there's obviously heavily theoretical base, but, when we're talking practical, like everyone goes on work experience to practice their, uh, I guess their their tertiary education before they go mm. into the professional field. How does that work in the field of sexology when you're trying to do a practical component? Right. I gather, so I gather the whole question. the whole class doesn't start having sex with each other. No, no, definitely not. So <laughs> when you, first first maybe just. To- just to explain sexology, <laughs> which is, uh, yeah, no, definitely not. Um, but sexology is like an umbrella term. So in the field of sexology, you could have, you know, nurses, doctors, therapists, educators. I mean, there's a whole OT, uh, all different kinds of people can be sexologists that come together in that field but then we have our specialty areas. So my area would be in the area of therapy, coaching, and that aspect. So then when you're doing a sexology course, um, so I did the the, um, sexology course at Curtin, and then I went on and did my master's in sex therapy at um, the University of Sydney. So practical placement for that is to go out and, you know, work with people, um, as a therapist oh, yeah, who yeah. want help um, with with sex and relationships. I mean, generally, when you're talking about sexuality, you can't separate the relationship. Whereas some relationship therapists aren't specially trained in sexological, um, really deep understandings and knowings and able to really help in that way. But 
to do sex therapy, you really have to have an understanding of relationships as well. Is is the profession sometimes misunderstood because of the word sex? So like sex in, uh, or probably every culture, sex to, to me means engaging in, you know, sexual activity. But when you say a sexologist, does the word sex mean essentially the interactions of people attracted to each other is that is the term different to the colloquial term like you know when you tick on a form sex male or female is the actual yeah. true definition of sex just interaction of male and females or male males female females how is it or am i talking out me arsey no you're you're onto something there i think um like sexology is the study and knowledge of sexuality so sex can sometimes, like in, in the regular everyday, sex is, you know, either penis and vagina or however you want to broaden that. Now, as a, as a sexologist, I, there's, I have a much broader range, and that's what I can help people to do is to really expand that range beyond just, say, penis and vagina or penis and anus or, you know, just genitals or things like that. Um, but sex, really, if you look at it, is, is when you get down to the science of sex, is, is about your gender. So are you male? Are you female? Are you intersexed? But colloquially, yes, sex is, is more related to the physical um, experience, I suppose, of, of being, of sexuality. Because when you talk about, as you said, you, you're dealing with a broad range of, you know, situations, there, like male, 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 female, 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 like, you know, the, has your line of work, I guess, changed recently with the introduction of equality into Australia, marriage equality, like there's such a positive, like positive media aspect to it. Now it's really, really come to the forefront. It's great. Um, have people been more forthcoming to come to you about intimacy and relationships that aren't just a standard or just not, I won't say standard, just a normal conventional male-female relationship? I think, yeah, I think, well, I think it really depends. Myself personally, I, there hasn't been a, much of a difference, but every kind of sex therapist too might specialize in a different area. So some people might be lean more towards the LGBTQI um, cohort of people. Some people might be more who work just with men. Some people be, might be more interested in, say, the intersection of sexuality and postpartum depression, or like there's just so many areas that someone could kind of buckle down and really become more um, specialized in, even in the specialization of sexology and sex therapy. Um, so in terms of, I think it's great definitely that we're, as a society, becoming more open to the variations of how sexuality um, presents itself, because I think previously we've been very closed-minded about a lot of things, um, and maybe not just closed-minded, but maybe just um unaware of of things and so definitely i think when when a government makes big changes like allowing same-sex marriages it starts to open up some new conversations and it allows different conversations to have to to happen in the context of it not being shamed or um uh, of being more accepted in regular society so, well you can you can blame the you can blame the Catholic Church for that, I think. One of the most powerful organisations in the world. It's amazing how much power they had of making society think or that these other forms of 
uh, the LGBTQI community and relationships was such a taboo area, but it's just so great that that's been squashed or getting squashed and hopefully squashed forever. Good to see. Now, how many people or how many couples or like a as a rough percentage of the population because mm. they not everyone comes goes to sexologists, not many people, probably a very small percentage do, but how how much of the population do you reckon has issues in the area of sex relationships and intimacy? I mean, this is just my view, um, but I would think you'd be hard-pressed to find a living human on this planet who doesn't have some kind of challenge at some point. I mean, it, it is very culturally related as well, so maybe that's a bit of a broad statement. Maybe I should scale that a bit back to more westernized maybe because i can speak a bit more about that being a, a person in a western civilization but i think it'd be really hard because i think um like i think of that analogy like a like a rubik's cube so when you look at as a sexologist um we look at different things so we're looking at the the biological the psychological the emotional um the spiritual the social and all of those things are part of um, come into play in our sexuality and how we express ourselves and the things that we think and the things that we um, validate about ourselves or the things that we shame ourselves about or that other people validate and shame. And so when I think about it, sometimes I think about like, say you have a Rubik's cube. So you've got the Rubik's cube before anyone's touched it and it's got all its different colors on the different side. And if you think one, one of those colors is emotional, one's psychological, one's spiritual, all those different things. And Society has this kind of view that, uh, if you look at society's view, it's often this look for perfection, the perfect Rubik's Cube with all its colors in the right places. But the reality of what life is actually like is that that Rubik's Cube gets mixed up and you have one of these, you know, each side of the face has lots of this color, a little bit of that color, a little bit of this. So at certain times of our lives, you know, through our whole lifespan, through the different challenges we have, um, the, that picture, that face that we're looking at at the Rubik's Cube could look different. So sometimes, say, for instance, if someone's hurt themselves at work, someone's pulled their back out, they come home, their partner is ready to go, they, you know, they're so ready for them to get home, haven't seen them for three or four weeks, and all they want to do is have sex. Well, the other partner maybe came home and has a sore back and can't do those same movements that they used to do before. You know, the, the, the way that, you know, just to hit that right spot or do those same, same things just don't happen. So maybe on the face on that day, physiological stuff is more important that day than it is the other stuff. Is yeah. that making sense? So you it get the does. sense that there's a fluidity between life, between our sexuality, and really depending on all of those external factors that come in, then that can make a difference about how we're presenting on the day, what we want, what we need. Um what we can give, what we don't want. Yeah, and because how yeah. into how intertwined or separate or pretty much the same thing is having a good relationship and having a good sex life. That's um, again, that's really um, determined by the couple. So some couples will be all about the sex. You know, everything they do with their relationship is so that's a really emotionally expressive um sexual style and so like um all of their you know they they do a lot of their um 
communicating through sex. So instead of talking about that fight, we'll have sex. Or instead of doing this, we'll have sex. Have height uh, sex. The, the height sex after a fight. <laughs> things, and not just, not to just, yeah, not just to funnel, you know, that kind of sex into to one place. But for some couples, sex is really, really important. And if the sex isn't working, then the relationship is no good for them. Other couples don't put as much value on sex. And so whether they're having sex or not, uh, m- might mean something to them or not. And it might mean something today, but next year it doesn't. So it's one of those things, again, it's, it's, it's one of those, it's so fluid. Like we are, like our own sexuality, like our own expression of sexuality is fluid. So is it between our relationships. And so then it comes down to what do the people in this relationship want? Are there both of their needs being met? And if not, what can be done about that? If anything. Yeah. But is it is it still pretty common for any couple, like those, as you said, later on, some couples might think, oh, look, sex isn't the backbone of our relationship. We've got bigger values. But pretty much when any couple gets first together, we call it the honeymoon period. You're, you're right. having sex every half an hour usually for a few <laughs> months and you just you can't bloody stop. And then there's that gradual deterioration or like just decline in the uh, in the frequency. I don't know. Some people talk it up that it's the same, but I find that hard to believe, especially when you get some kids involved. What what's what's the science <laughs> about that? Why why are people why is that the case? How does that work in the scientific way? Right. So that's we refer to that as limerence. What so is it? So you know, l- limerence. 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 So that's that's really that honeymoon period that you're talking yeah, about. So me, that's me and my missus were very hot. limerent at the start. Yes. Yeah. Sorry, that, I didn't hear that first. Bit. Is that lim- is limerent the word? Like m- myself and my wife were very limerent when we first met each other. Um, might say it differently. Like, how might you say that? Like, um, you could tell by the amount we were having sex and how hot and, and frisky we were each other we were for each other that we were in the state of limerence oh there you go yes yeah there's right? not much limerence that, that could be- we're not very limerence now after having a baby i can tell you that much <laughs> that's really normal though matt that's really normal you we know will, like- we will get to that <laughs> yeah so sorry what was that other question the question was about um no, i've lost it uh why, why does everyone root the hell out of each other when they first oh, yes <laughs> So super normal. Well, not everyone does. So I guess, again, in some ways, part of I see what my function and my role is as a sexologist is to kind of dispel some of those myths because not everyone will be like that. Like some people will come into a relationship with challenges already. But if we come back to that kind of normalized version of hot and heavy in the beginning and um, things naturally tapering, tapering off, and I think that word naturally is is the you know the key word there because we we actually couldn't sustain it. Can you imagine? Can you remember the beginning where you're like all you can think about is your partner and hearing their name makes you excited and like who could who could sustain that and still do their job and take care of their house and do all? Can you imagine? It would well, be but really you just don't have enough time in the day to go have sex six times. It's uh, bloody. You, you see, I seem we seem to find time at the start of a relationship, but uh, later on that um, that definitely dies off. It'd be there'd be a very very small percentage of the population that would uh, maintain that rate. They're bloody superhumans if they do. <laughs> 
And some people really need that. So if you get two people together who have very similar sexual needs and wants, and then they might fall into that um, emotionally expressive couple sexual style, then those are probably the people who really are out there like having sex all the time, loving it, can't imagine living any other way. Yeah. What, how then, do things, how common is it for you to talk to people, to couples that everything sort of goes bad after they have kids? Because it's such a, between the pregnancy itself and then the recovery after the birth and, and just sleep deprivation. And look, the last thing on both of your bloody minds sometimes is having sex. How common is yeah. that? That's really common. That's really common for, I mean, when you think about it in terms of like your, your whole world has just changed. And if you have other children, you're also navigating them. And then all of, you know, your work, everything else that comes like taking care of the yard, making sure you get the groceries, like who swept the floor because the baby's crawling on the floor. Like when you think about all those stresses and pressures, well, stress is a big killer for sex anyways. But then when you look at in terms of, say, life changes, things like a, a baby coming home, then what can happen is the couple can actually lose that priority of couple time and they can lose that playfulness. You know, things become a little bit more about priorities and keeping the keeping the team functioning, you know, making sure everyone's fed, making sure everyone's clean and all those things. And that's kind of not always so sexy. And if you're not making that specific um, space um, and putting that energy into it, then yeah, thing, things can get lost and um, it's, it can be quite normal. And if it's a worry, you know, some people don't worry about that. Some people say, you know what, this is the stage of the life we're in. This is the way things are. I'm okay with this. Are you okay with this? Yes. Maybe some people are having solo pleasure, you know, if they can't seem to sync together the, um, you know, having couple time and that might sustain some people but for some people that might not so it really comes again down to who are these two people or more depending on what the relationship is but who are these two people uh, let's just say as a, um, a a couple of two people um and what do they want and, and is there room for making any changes is you know the, i think that, that sorry okay there yeah. needs to be yeah i was gonna say there really needs to be a um now i know it doesn't sound sexy but we need to plan some of these things. You know, it's really important to to not forget that when you were first together, even though you thought it was really spontaneous, most of the times it wasn't. You know, you thought about the top you put on, you washed your hair, you um, brushed your teeth, you know, you did a few things. Yet You had an idea, you thought about what you might like to do with them. But when you get in a relationship and you've got kids and you've got all these other distractions, when you're not putting in that same kind of energy, then where is that energy coming from and how does that how does that get the fire burning do, do you think sometimes post-pregnancy and what sees a lot of couples go into uh, i'll get it i guess a bit of bad territory do they do they put sex on a pedestal a bit too much Are they just they stress about the fact that they're not having it where as you said that if you're in agreement that you're in that stage of your life it's 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 okay it's perfectly normal do people just get too uptight about it? Uh, I don't want to put judgments on for people. So it, if someone's feeling uptight about it, then I think that's um, that's a bit of a like a an indicator 
like, hey, this this doesn't feel I actually want more sex than I'm getting. And how can I express what I need, say what I want, and and come into a space of communication with my partner? Maybe they're on the same page with some of the stuff. Maybe they're not. And if they are, or if they're not, how can we work through that? So it really comes back to those basic communication skills. And even just having a chat. So talking about sex can be really hard, especially when you've got all the pressures. And we don't really talk a lot about sex in society in our culture. It's, you know, we, we splash it around all over the place. We use it to advertise. We've got it all, all over the place. It's in our videos and things like that. But when we actually get down to talking about sex, it can be pretty shame-inducing and taboo. And a lot of people don't like to talk about it. So sitting down even with our partners, if we've never had those conversations before, well, when we're feeling a little bit um, unsure about our footing, about where things are, or maybe we're feeling a little bit undesired because our partner's not engaging like they used to, then that could make it even a little bit more challenging to start those kind of challenging conversations. Yeah, I guess, as you said, it depends on what your relationship is. I'm very lucky in terms of, my myself and my missus we just talk about anything there's no no topic is off limit and that's been the foundation of our relationship where whereas as you say other couples may not for whatever reason may not have that in their relationship and they get nervous to talk about it which is a shame um i guess that's where is that something that you could help with is that something a an intimacy coach could help with i gather communication is a big massive part of a relationship it's huge. It's huge. And, and like I said um, before, is that you kind of can't separate some of that stuff between sex and communication. You know, even just in terms of saying, like some people will stay in a sexual relationship that never brings them pleasure because it, they, you know, they, they're not feeling confident. Either they don't have the words to know or they don't have the experience to know. Like, you know, maybe they haven't done that self-exploration. They don't know where the hot spots are in their body or what really turns them on. And so then to get into a relationship with, with somebody else and that person is kind of doing what they think's good. <laughs> and then if you never communicate about, hey, you know what? Could you go a little bit left there or a little bit slower, maybe a little bit less pressure there? Um, never having those uh, conversations means some people go through life never having pleasure with their partners. Yeah. And that is really, that's sad. Like, it's not sad as in like, um, don't, how do I want to say this? That can be rectified yeah. if someone wants to. So sad as in, I would hate to see someone not having pleasure if they want it. If they're okay with that. And if that just becomes a duty and they've decided that, you know what, I really don't like sex. I really never want it, but I'm married to this partner and I believe that sex is important. So on Tuesday at nine o'clock, I will have sex with this partner and I will do what I need to do <laughs> just to get it over and done with. If yeah. that's what someone wants and if that works for them, then more that's, that's their relationship. But if someone is not liking that, or let's say the partner on the other side is like, you know what? Every time I have partner have sex with my partner, I feel like I'm doing something that they don't like. Well, there's room for conversation there too. So it really depends on what side of that relationship you're on and then what you want to do about it, if anything at all. How, how common is it that couples just have the sex the same way every time, as you said, the same time every week? It's just a, it's just ticking a, it's ticking a job off the list essentially. Just, just for some re people it relieving is. the pressure really. 
in many ways. <laughs> yeah, like get off my back. Hey, go for it. Do it. Get off. And then, you know, literally get off my back and get out of here. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it really, I mean, this opens up another whole topic. I mean, sex research is so underfunded. I would love to know more answers to some of these questions, but some of them we just don't have. One, because people are embarrassed sometimes to talk about it. Do they talk about it honestly? And if they do, are people paying to have this research done? So I can think, I can talk in a general sense that there are lots of people out there who are having really unsatisfying sex, but there's a lot of people out there having great sex too. And maybe that's where a good, bit of, good sex and could have better sex. Maybe that's where a bit of taxpayer money needs to be directed in the next uh, federal budget into enhancing the sex life of all Australians. I I support that. <laughs> <laughs> I wholeheartedly support that. <laughs> <laughs> now you are, I guess, specialising. Or would you say you're specialising in fly in, fly out, drive in, drive out? couples relationships or gather based on the name of your name of your business rostered relationships that is the business model is it not correct it is yeah for my coaching business why so, why is that how why have you picked this particular field to or particular um, demographic to focus on yeah so that's a that's a, a bit of a story as well actually um i'll roll back so my very first client that I ever had. So I'm just out the doors as a counselor. And my very first client was a FIFO worker. And so that, um, that was some time ago. Um, but it kind of stayed with me. And then around that period of my life, I was, um, you know, yarning a lot at the pub, talking to lots of people, um, you know, into, you know, had other clients, had different areas i think living in western australia it's kind of hard to not bump into someone who does fifo or dido you know it's not hard to find people doing that kind of work so and being the curious person that i am um i would ask a lot of questions and um, i saw this real need i thought wow and this was i think before so we're probably talking back um mid to mid to turning into later 2000s so maybe around 2005 2007 around that time and uh I, I noticed that there wasn't a lot of recognition in terms of mainstream about the impact of the FIFO Dido lifestyle on relationships, but in the conversations I was having, I could see that that was huge. And so when I, um, uh, I sent off very naively sent off these little letters to a bunch of mining companies, I'm like, I'd really love to come and work and, help people with their relationships. And uh, I don't think I heard back from anybody. And that was okay. I went on and um, went on and, and did other endeavors for, for work. And um, I became, I, I developed some health challenges a few years ago. And that really slowed me down. So I was um, just about to open up my private practice as a sexologist and as a sex therapist. And uh, my whole world kind of became shut down. So like, like the whole world's experiencing now with the social distancing and isolating, um, that's, I actually had to do that for health reasons. So I'm on day 800 and something now. I'm not sure what day I'm on. But um, it gave me a lot of time to really sit back and reflect on a lot of things. Uh, and in that time and in that reflection, um, I came across... Um, 
this book that I did. So it was called The Artist's Way. Some people, I'm sure lots of people have heard about it, particularly um, creative people who might be listening out there. And uh, one of the things you do is you take yourself on a date. So I took myself on a date into town. And uh, one of the things, and this is where it comes back to Sue Johansson and her Sunday night sex show, is that I thought I want my own radio station. I'd really love to be able to share um, education, you know, evidence-based research, real, ed- real information about sex and relationships. I think it's so important. There's so many myths. There's so many taboos. I thought I really want to be a part of the movement for being sex positive, getting good things out there, helping people with relationships, helping people feel um, better about themselves and, and moving towards more pleasure and joy. And so on this date with myself, I thought, oh, I'll just pop into the radio station here, the local station, and see who I might contact when I'm in a better space, health-wise, physically-wise, those things. Um, maybe someone will pick me up and I'll do a radio program or something. So I popped in and just asked for a name. I said, oh, you could speak to this person. They're here right now. So I ended up in the office speaking with um, with one of the radio people, and and, and out came the discussion and um, there was about the different programs they had. And then they, there was a mention of a, that was a mining program. And I thought, Oh my God, that's perfect. Like this is, this is a, this is a bunch of people who I have always been interested in working with. I've spent so much time talking to um, I've date, you know, I've been in relationships as, as the person who actually my partner at the time um, I was in the town where the person worked. So that when they went on their R&R, they went away from me. So I was around for the work, but not for the R&R, which was an interesting twist on it. Um, and so, yeah, something that I was always interested in. And then um, through my health challenges and it came in my own relationship currently where we needed a little bit more stability in terms of income and things like that. And then lo and behold, my partner became a Dido. So it's kind of come full circle in a lot of ways. There's always been an interest. There's always been, I've always known the need was there. And um, yeah, I guess that's how it came about. First, I started to try and fit it into uh, thinking, how can I maybe offer courses or something through my therapy? And then I thought, when I really thought about it, when I sat back and thought, okay, who, who are these people I want to serve? And when I thought about it, and I spent a lot of time thinking about it, I thought, you know, a lot of people, one, they don't want to get to a point where they're taking, where they're not taking, they're participating in therapy. What they really want is to prevent that. So for me, it was really important, the idea of prevention. So that means getting in early. I think prevention is about education, it's about understanding, it's about getting in early and in kind of putting those fires out before they turn into a whole a whole storm of fire. So one of the things I thought was, and that's how I kind of came up with this model of doing the coaching, because one, coaching is just so much more approachable. It's not saying, hey, let's dig up all the issues from your past, which is not what therapy is only about, but that's often what can happen in therapies where we do a lot of, why is it like this? How did this come to be? Whereas in coaching and how I've, I've, I've created this business is about, is more about prevention. It's about saying, okay, here we are today. Here are some of the challenges. And then how can we put in some, you know, what can we do to overcome some of those challenges? So preventing what can happen. So what we know in research is often couples won't, won't engage with a therapist until they're like seven years into issues. 
You know, let's get these issues when they first start so that they don't become, uh, you know, turn into relationships falling apart or, you know, seven years of bitterness and resentment. How about we grab that early and then try and make some changes and put some better um, strategies and skills in place than what's currently working or not working? It's, it sounds like you could also double up as a isolation lockdown coach as well for people that are right. struggling in uh, that department as well. 800 days. It, did you uh, want to – Did you, you talked about your health problems. Uh, did you want to elaborate on that? It sounds like a very interesting story in itself. You don't have to. Uh, yeah, I mean, just just kind of overview. Is it? It's environmental. So, like – I never know when I'm going to be hit with something that makes me really sick because yeah. it's out there in the everyday environment. So it's just things that everyday people are using and wearing. Like it became to the point where I couldn't be in, um, in buildings anymore with people because of all of the, all of the chemicals, the chemicals that were around. So I've got to be really careful about where I go, what products I use, uh, like everything, <laughs> it's really, you know when you see those shows of people who live in bubbles. Yep, yep. Like I want my own bubble. I want it to be made of glass because yeah. plastic is challenging. <laughs> and Just uh, chuck, a, chuck a computer in there with you and a microphone. Yeah. <laughs> that's right. So yeah, so that that's mean. I mean, people will you know, people. I do get out once in a while. You know, I'm, I'm I went out. We had a I went out for this big social party. It was a Mardi Gras hadn't been out for a big party for years and years and years and um it was so much fun but other than that i mean no i i i, I mean i go weeks without seeing people yeah other than when my partner comes home or if i go down to Coles or something i'll see people there but yeah i've become i am a bit of a social distance isolation master yeah it could, do you just and you can just get profusely sick if you don't adhere to your pretty much that isolation throughout your life now. Yeah, I can do. So it really depends, A, on what I'm exposed to, how many of exposures I've had before. So if you think of like a cup, right? So you've got a cup and you fill it up, you fill it up, you fill it up. Once it gets full, it's full. And so depending on what I'm exposed to, how many times I'm exposed to things, then it really depends on and what it is. So different, different exposures of different chemicals can make me feel different ways. So I have all of these different like – Oh, let's say, for instance, I bought a mattress. So, I mean, just if this is a, sometimes people find this fascinating. So, you know, I'll share a few little bits and pieces, but bought a mattress in August and I'm not yet able to sleep on it. It's in the house now, but it took, uh, it only came in the house last month. So what you need, you need to, your body needs to gradually get used to that mattress. No. The, it needs to be off-gassed. So all of those, so they're called volatile organic vox. I'm going to forget it now because I'm trying too hard. But so everything, I mean, it, you would be so surprised about how many things in your house and the different things that you use that are actually really unhealthy for you and for your family and for your pets and your babies and all those things. Because we don't have government regulations about things like that. So that's a whole different political issue. Um and I won't bore your audience with that at this point, but um, what it comes down to is I uh, something needs to off gas, which means that as far as possible, all of those really 
all those toxicants that are in a product that's been manufactured with chemicals and all those things, then I need those to be gone before I can go near things. Yeah. So there's very few things that come into my house. And when they do come into my house, they're pretty simple and plain and basic. Yeah. And so that makes it challenging. So like if my partner's been out, um, you know, I can be like, oh, where were you? Wow. I can, you know, I know you've, you know, like I can tell where he's been certain places or if he's been around someone, if I know some of their products, well, I look, I'm like a, like a bit of a bloodhound nose these days, really. So it's very strange, but not uncommon. Um, yeah, well, how, how, that's all I was about to ask. How common is this condition? Well, there's a lot of people who are undiagnosed, but I've diagnosed people in Australia. There's a million, at least a million people hiding away like I am or, or, really? or going through life with a lot of pain and a lot of illness because they need to pay their bills because they have to go to the office that makes them sick because they have to do this or they, they just don't realize. So like when you think I looked it up one time, cause I thought, geez, when I saw the, um, so the feed, you know, the feed on Australia, that TV show that we have, they had a little expose on, on the, uh, the condition. And, um, yeah, one of, I was surprised to, to find out, and there's lots of good research. There's, uh, some Anne Steineman, she's a professor, one of the Melbourne universities, and she does great research, um, worldwide research. And, um, yeah, so, I mean, that's almost as common as, as diabetes. Oh, Really? Like when you look at one in twenty, so we've got twenty-five million people, one million people. That's one in twenty-five. That's that's like almost like as common as diabetes. Yeah. At least the numbers I looked at. Whether those numbers have changed, I'm not sure. Like, you know, if I had the best research, but yeah, it is very. Um, oh, like we say fascinating, but we that makes it sound positive, which is which it's not. But it's as as we say, most most people just would not know that a condition like that exists. Yeah. And, it, it, and the fact that they might have it themselves. Right. And, you know, you see some people like in terms of um, ones I think is fascinating. I do think it's fascinating. And, and I, I even though it's frustrating and it's completely changed my life, um, I'm grateful in a lot of ways. Like it's um, I wouldn't be here right now talking to you today if I hadn't got really sick and if I hadn't had to pull apart and look at myself really deeply and look at my values and look at what I want. Where can I find, there was all these things that I couldn't do. And so what I really needed to do was find out what can I do? How can I still be me? I'm a server. I'm a helper. I'm a healer. That's just who I am. And so how can I do that when I can't see people face to face? It was like, I had to go through, I mean, it was a long process. Like I, there was, there was a few things like it took me a while to really accept and acceptance is one of the hugest things. And, you know, I'll probably talk a bit more about that. And um, in my, this little sideshow I've got going with helping people with this social distancing and isolating is acceptance is huge. And it wasn't until I could accept what my, my reality is because, you know, I, I've lived in five different countries. I was a, a lady of the world. As far as I saw it, I was traveling. I was, you know, I never stayed anywhere too long in terms of I was always out and about adventuring. And now I've been at my address for over 800 days. You know, I, I have barely gone beyond my own gates. So it was a real shift. Well, and when, yeah. you, say, when you say acceptance, is that that's obviously on your behalf, but what about your partner? That'd be a whole coaching episode in itself, the 
like navigating through a relationship where either partner has become homebound for 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 the foreseeable Who knows how future. Long. Yeah. Yeah. That guy is my guy. He's amazing. I am just so grateful for him. He he's just been my champion and what he's had to go through one to watch me fall apart because I really did. I really fell apart in the beginning. It was um like a lot of people are experiencing right now. It's like, how do you live like this? How on earth do you live without going out, seeing people, like all the losses? I mean, it probably took a good year before, I, you know, before all the, I didn't have the losses popping up in my mind. Like I could just, no, I can't. Well, I could just, no, I can't do that. I can't do that. I can't do that. It's like the whole world kind of shut in and then to come out. So in terms of the partner, so he had to watch that, which I think would have been quite challenging for him. I'm only speaking for myself. Um, that would be a whole different conversation with him. But then he also had to really adjust his life because, you know, people who come to a, to visit us, well, they can't come in the house anymore. So luckily we have a big yard. Um, when he goes to see people, you know, he can't come in the house unless he's done full decontamination, you know, like people are experiencing now with COVID stuff. Like it's so similar. Um, I, I'm really... I'm under, even though I'm not having, because I've been all through it, the COVID isn't, ex, I'm not experiencing it the same way as other people because I've lost everything. And I'm now, I'm in that like positive hope. There's so much that I can do. There's so much wonderfulness out there. And I just want to be a part of what I can be a part of. And this is obviously laid a foundation of the way you're conducting your business, fully, essentially totally. a fully online service. That's right. And what I love about that too is it's just flexible for other people too. I mean, people like to be online, I think. And when I was in the really deep throes of things, I was seeing my own therapist. So my therapist was on the other side of the world. And so I know the value and I know how transferable um, that deep relating can be um, over the internet like this. So I thought, you know, I've got something to offer here and I'm, um, you know, in my early 40s, I'm not ready to pack it all in yet, even though I have a lot of challenges and barriers. Well, talking about this, what you offer now, let's talk about it. The FIFO okay. Dido Relationship Sex and Intimacy Specialist we've got here. Yes. Now, go through some of the themes, the, the common themes that you see as issues with FIFO Dido relationships that come to you for advice or themes that you just know are out there? Yeah, yeah. So the the, the huge ones, which are not just FIFO Dido, these are just universal for people, are so a mi mixed match libido or desire discrepancy. So that's where one person's wanting it more than the other. And the tension and friction that that can have is massive. So in, let's say, in a, in a relationship where everyone's, where, where both people, where, let's just talk about couples, um, where both people uh, are on the same page, both people are happy with the, the rate, frequency, what's happening in, in the sexual experience or the sexual aspect of the relationship. In cases like that, then you have sexuality, sex, the sex part of the relationship taking up about 15 to 20 percent of the relationship. But when there's problems, when there's uh, discrepancies and people are upset about that, when there's dysfunction, 
when there's when there's issues or challenges and things like that, then those that starts to bump up that that part of that 15 to 20% to more like 50 to 75%. So what you then have is you have almost like this monster that is taking over the whole show and it's underpinning a lot of different things. So, you know, maybe you would have been uh, happy to make that coffee or no problem. I'll pick this up for you on the way home. Whereas now you're like, Oh really? (laughs) You want me to do that, but you won't do this for me. I can't get my satisfaction here, but I can still take care of all your needs for what you want, or I can stay here and take care of all your babies, or I can go make all the money for you, or however that argument may go in whoever's home. Tit, tit for tat just becomes a tit for tat argument. It, yeah, and it can really um, underpin what's happening in a relationship. So, And it's really normal. So it's it's so normal for people to have this discrepancy and when you think about it, when you come back to that rubik's cube you know like maybe for what's happened for someone's particularly who's off working so you've got all the stresses and strains of you know safety and job security and um just the actual physical toll that it takes to be working 12-hour shifts sleeping in a tiny little box you know rabbiting yourself into the dry mess to get whatever might be on offer that day. Like maybe you don't want soup today. Maybe you actually wanted something else, but this is your choice and this is what you have. So when you have all of those kind of pressures and then, um, yeah, so someone's coming home with those pressures and then the person at home may be like, oh, like who can even think about sex right now because I still have all of these things that I'm taking care of. Plus, uh, you know, so a lot of people are working at the same time. So when you get these two things together, it's it's not unusual for there to be some discrepancy in a different of wants and needs. And then when you have someone returning, like I know in, in our case, um, just to speak a little bit um, from a personal perspective, is that, you know, my partner's done a really long drive home. He's just done all of these long days. He's done a really long drive home. And, um, you know, he needs that space of transition. And so um, if people don't understand that space of transition or for whatever reason from, you know, characteristics from, you know, from their life, if they have different styles of relating and different attachment styles and things like that, then that can be problematic. So that's huge. Um, communication is huge. So like, how do we talk to each other? Like um, one of the popular researchers are well-known researchers is John Gottman and he's done 30 years of research um, with couples and he's got the, the four horsemen he calls them. And so that's criticism, defense, contempt, and stonewalling. And these are almost like, if these things continue going on in a relationship, then you're almost surely going to have some problems in your relationship. And so with communication, um, that can be a huge issue, especially with the distances and then living those two separate lives. So that's definitely something you see in FIFO is like, you've got, you're actually living two separate lives and then you try and smush them together and you try and make that work and then separate them again. So you've got all that coming and going, all the things to do with buys and hellos. And then what I find particularly, and I think a lot of other people do too, is that there's that kind of little space, like when people, when the person first comes back and then just before they go or that there's that kind of rawness of emotion because you're having to either accept them into your space or you're having to let them go. And then how, and then the person who's leaving is thinking about all those things that coming up, the work, you know, the pressures, the, the fun, the people they're going to see, like all the good and the bad things that come with it. And then the person at home is generally going, okay, it's been 
however it's been, have you been in depends on your relationship? Was it good to have them there? Was it not so good? But then it comes back to, okay, I've got to do this all alone now. Now it's me again. I'm holding down the fort. I've got all these pressures. I've got to make sure I do this. So it's a real dance. And without some solid communication, without really understanding what your values are and what your, what your priorities are, and what's really important, then that can be more challenging. And that's definitely things that I work with as well is like, what is this all about? Why are we making our sacrifices? And if we're not super clear on that, then it can be harder in those hard times to, um, to find that kind of energy to move on or to accept kind of what is when, when we're not even sure why we're doing this. Is how common is it for people? You sort of alluded to it before, but when you, as you said, when you return home from work, say two, say you've done a two week swing, a couple's been apart for two weeks, mm-hmm. and then you come back for that first night. Oh, I've noticed it numerous times, and it takes that day to get used to each other again. Like you can't, you, it's not easy just to fall back into your back into your rhythm within the first hour it's um there's a bit of an adjustment period i'm sure that's different lengths for different people but you, you'd feel that in your relationship too wouldn't you oh definitely so when i'm here and it's me like you know my energy i've got my energy going i'm in my space you know i'm doing my thing and i don't see a lot of other people so it really is just me you know yeah. a few people i talk to i like i talk to my mom all the time on facetime and you know all my family's over um in, in Canada and a lot of my friends are around the world. So, um, yeah, when I, when my partner comes back, well, he brings all of that energy from his space, you know, all the days he's had the long drive, the challenges, the, the exhaustion, his, whatever he's looking forward to do in his space. Yeah, so for sure. So then our energies meet and it can be sometimes, uh, it can be lots of different things, you know. So especially if I haven't talked to people for days, and blah 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 blah, blah and he's like, "Whoa, <laughs> I just arrived in," and I I need to, you know, and I I I'm aware of that. So I'll be like, "Do I need to give you some space?" And like, yeah, I'd love just if I could just unpack the car, <laughs> or you know, because <laughs> I'm out there. Hello, how are you going? Blah 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 blah. Right, and but I appreciate that. That's not going to be some days he's going to appreciate that and some days he's not, you I've, know, I've, so that's. I find, I find it very interesting to be in the position that your partner is being the partner of a sexologist. I think that it would be a very interesting situation in terms of like, would you be feeling from his perspective, like, you know, pressured under under criticism, being critiqued all the time. Is that – I'm probably bloody the poor, the poor bastard's probably cringing when he listens to this, but that would be, uh, be an interesting position to be in, I think. Uh, I was just going to ask if you had a conversation with him before we started this because uh, <laughs> I, I don't want say, him to sue me. <laughs> I would say that he would probably speak along those lines very, very similar. Um, I think, yeah, I think it would be challenged because I this is I live and breathe this stuff. I want to talk about well, sex, just sex, 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 knowledge, power, but, but, do but, it, but, but, yeah. right. And what's worse than a partner who specializes and has degrees behind her to say this or that, but then comes the human, right? (laughs) Then the human comes in though. And I I have to be able to step back and remember that it doesn't matter what knowledge I know. I'm still just a person and I can behave in ways that aren't appropriate. And I can say things 
you know, that I didn't mean to say, or I can, you know, I can act like any kind of human, but just because I have pieces of paper behind me doesn't mean I don't act like a human too, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think, I think for him, it's, uh, it can be frustrating for him at times because I can be like, uh, actually the research shows, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it'd, it'd just be like, I'm sorry, are you coaching me right now? <laughs> oh, sometimes he's, you know, stop therapizing me. <laughs> 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 oh, now let's talk about masturbation. Now let's, oh, let's love talking about masturbation. We we talked about the Aussie terms for sex in general. What the Aussie terms for male masturbation are just endless. Just have having a wank, knocking the top off it, rubbing one out, having a pull. Yeah. It's just it just there there is that many of them, so many ways to describe your uh, your man solo time. And women. How, women love their solo time too. Exactly. I suppose I haven't really talked to, to many women about their masturbation techniques, but um, it's, it's a bit of a usually an off-topic sort of thing. Uh, um, <laughs> right? How, how the the pros and cons, and I, like, I want to like, specifically focus on, can masturbation lead to essentially a a decline in your sex life because you're you're living one false reality by yourself and becoming more distant from your partner. And this is a especially the case in FIFA, I think, when you're away for two weeks and like look, you can't mm. go two weeks without a wank. You'd be mad. You'd lose your mind. <laughs> um how how does that all work? So i mean Okay, there's a few questions there, so let me just try and. I'll just answer all of them. So I think (laughs) I think there's there's different ways, there's different things to look at. I think when you're looking at masturbation and and when people are doing, you know, participating in a lot of masturbation instead of in sex with their partner. So some of it can come down just the technique. So if you're if you're pulling in a certain way, if you know if you've got a certain rhythm, a certain tightness that you're using, you know, um, certain fantasies that you're using while you're doing it. If you then and and, and you buy yourself for two weeks, so you might be batting off a couple times a day, like maybe in the morning, maybe at night. You know, you're using it to soothe. Maybe you're using it to fall asleep. Or using it for pressure, for pleasure, for all the different things that we might use masturbation for. Um, what you can do is develop a kind of technique that's good for you. Working no problem. You can probably rub things out pretty quickly. But then when you try and transfer that to your partner, well, it, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a vagina or if we're talking about a male and a female, you're going to be hard-pressed to find a vagina potentially that's going to have that same grip and that same speed. Like maybe your partner just can't take it that quickly. You know, if you're rubbing it real quick, then, uh, you know, if you have a really fast motion, you know, your partner might not want to be pounded that way in reality when you're having using a penis and a vagina. And, you know, your partner might not have those, you know, maybe maybe there's no amount of Kegel exercises that could ever make the vaginal walls grip your penis as hard as your hand does when you're having, when you're masturbating. So in some ways like that, that can translate into some challenges when someone comes home because then it just doesn't feel as good you're like oh this is taking too long this is uh how come you're not ready yet you know and then you get into the whole issues of arousal and desire and responsive versus spontaneous desire and arousal so you've got all those different elements that come into things as well so masturbation is fantastic i highly support if you like masturbating now if you don't like masturbating then i wouldn't suggest that you do it 
But if you're open, if you're not doing it, you're open to it, then, you know, what I love about my job, I mean, how many other jobs do you, um, you know, work with people about how to masturbate, you know, masturbation training. For I mean, how wonderful, <laughs> right? <laughs> I love oh, my job. Isn't it? <laughs> but can, can that go the other way uh, in terms of? You're bloody, you're having a quick pull all the time at work and you get home and you go to have sex and it's, uh, she's over in, in a bloody, before it even gets started, not even, not that bad, but it might be done in bloody 30 seconds. And you, then the missus is like, uh, oh, well, what about me? And then, God, yeah. don't, don't worry, I'll speak from experience here. I've let a few go early. <laughs> don't worry about that more often than not. It's, uh, and I, I don't know what well, I attribute it to, but you, as you said, you just you you live in a separate life up at work, and then you get over yeah. to do the real thing, and you're like, oh shit. And your missus maybe wanting some connected. This is where it comes down to your repertoire and what does sex mean to you. So this is some of the things we can explore as well, right? It's like, what does sex mean, and what does that entail? So some people think sex means a penis and a vagina, or a penis and an anus. Well, sex is so much more than that. You, you know, you have all of the touching, all the sensations, that the air, that the kind of sphere of eroticism. You know, it doesn't have to be all about putting one piece inside another person. And so, whilst you might be quick to orgasm when you put your penis in your partner's vagina, what were you doing before that? You know, what were you doing after that? And if that, if 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 sex for one person is all about I'm here, I'm in, I'm done, goodbye. Well, you're probably going to have a pretty unsatisfied partner unless your partner is someone who's like, thank God that's over because now I'm done, I've done my duty, right? So this is where <laughs> tick, you get all those box. different kind yep. of intricacies. But if there's someone who's at home going, I haven't seen you for two weeks, I've been hot and horny, I've been waiting, I've been fantasizing about all these things that could happen, I've been dreaming about the way you're going to touch my breast and kiss my neck and play with my hair and suck my toes and all these different things, and that doesn't happen, and that could be pretty disappointing. So it's about how you then navigate those spaces together. How do you talk about what someone needs and what someone wants, what someone doesn't want or doesn't need, and then how you can bring those two things together so that both of you are happy because if one of you is happy and the other isn't, then you're probably going to have a bit of resentment popping in. But isn't the main goal of sex usually, or correct me if I'm wrong, but the main goal is for both partners to have an orgasm, to climax? I'm sure no. orgasm and climax are the same thing, aren't they? Or are they not the same thing? No, they're not. But I'm going to go back to that because I think that's a really important point for talk about orgasms because, no, that is um, – it's kind of a model. So that's kind of, you can set yourself up for failure in a lot of ways if, if you're always looking for the end goal. So if it's all about the orgasm, then you lose all that fun in between. Because let's face it, in reality, how many people are, are both orgasming and both or, and or both orgasming at the same time? You know, can, can, you, can you give a little and take a little later? Can you have fun? Like, I don't know about you, but I've had plenty of sexual experiences where I didn't orgasm, but wow, I had a great time. We connected. There was intimacy. I felt desired. I felt aroused. I felt like I meant something. I, there was. We were in the space together in this time and space that was pleasurable. Did I orgasm? Maybe not. Does it matter? No, not unless that's my only goal. If my measure of what good sex is is only related to an orgasm, then you're probably going to feel very unsatisfied 
a lot of the time, at least one person might. So there's this whole model called good enough sex. And part of that is about that intimacy versus the end goal. Oh, yeah. oh buddy, that makes it, that makes a lot of sense. Is that a bubble that people fall into a bit too often, but just thinking that's you've got to get off, I've got to get off. That's that. Yeah. And look at all the pleasure that falls in between there. Either falls away if you don't um, acknowledge it and, um, and what's the word I'm looking for? Like a, um, a support or foster that or, you know, or if, if it's, it's there, you know, uh, what am I trying to say? You can either lose it or, or use it really. You know, there's so much opportunity there for more connection and more pleasure uh, when you're not just all about the end goal and it's not all about you. So if you're going in there and you're quick and you're at it and you're done and you roll over, and you're like, ah, oh, sorry, next time. Some people might perceive that as a bit selfish. And then here comes the resentment. And then you want me to do what? And I'm taking care of your babies and I'm cleaning your floors and I'm, and I'm, and I'm remembering your mom's birthday and I bought the presents for this and I've done all of that. And then you, you know, so you can see where sometimes that can get tricky and then, um, yeah, cause cause some challenges. Yeah. What what about like let's talk about uh look, I can only speak and probably provide insight on a, you know, a standard male female relationship. I'm not too into like in up up of what goes on in the other relationships. So I guess my mm-hmm. questions are more tailored for heterosexual relationships. Um mm-hmm. what what are some of the the key trends, issues that you see with uh I guess let's start on the female in a heterosexual relationship or, or any relationship. What what are some of the issues that they're bringing up? Yeah. Okay. So desire, desire can be huge. You know, like some like just with all the other things happening. Um, so stress. So for what is it? One ten to twenty percent of of people who experience stress that increases their libido their want their you know their, that drive to have sex so to speak um for lack of a better word i use the word drive but for most other people that actually decreases your desire so if you're feeling stressed if anything's happening the relationship isn't well because you really got to look at context so this is for both i know you asked me about females but this really pertains to both context is so important um so we have this there's a, a model called the dual um the dual control model so you've got your brakes and you've got your accelerator and so what's what what puts your gas on what what helps you get excited and get into the space like what are the things you need there and what puts your brakes on so for a lot of people stress for women it can be like kind of like that scenario you just talked about like i'm waiting for two weeks he comes home and in 30 seconds it's over and he rolls over I don't know that I'd want to be jumping back into that over and over and over again. Sounds kind of boring, really. Sounds very unsatisfying in a lot of ways. But that's me. That's my personal opinion. Like I said, some people might think, thank God, my duty is over and he's not coming back at me again for X amount of days or however long it is. Um, Pain can be quite huge for women as well. So, um, and that can be for a myriad of reasons. So, there, that can be related to physiological things as, you know, physical. Um, like if he's hung, if he's hung like a horse or something. Uh, well, there can be that. <laughs> I love how it goes back to that. That's hilarious. That's so good. <laughs> I was thinking more in terms of like, you know, <laughs> like um, say endometriosis or, um, you know, pain after um, 
uh, something that that's happened, like even a C-section or, you know, like you've been, or you've, you've had a, a natural birth and you've torn or there's, you know, there's a million other things that could be happening for a woman in her vulva, or her vagina that can cause pain. Yeah. And then also when you bring in the psychological part, it can also be that um, for whatever reason it's causing stress or tension or anxiety, then the, the vaginal muscles can close and then it's hard to penetrate. And then if someone's trying to push a penis into a vagina, that's trying not to take it in, then that could be quite painful as well. So those are really common things for women is the desire and pain and really that mismatch libido. I mean, it really, it all starts coming in the relationship dynamics, the context of everything. Sometimes it can be hard to, to just pull it out. Most of the time, it's not just one thing, you know, there's not just one quick, easy fixed, so to speak. And that's why it's really important to get in there sooner rather than later, because the longer you wait, the more bricks you're adding to the pile. Because what, what's a plan of attack for that? Because I'd reckon that situation you described, the you know, get home from work and the, you know, 30 seconds she's done and dusted, roll over, go to sleep, it's probably pretty bloody common. What's a, look, where do you start from your end, how to get couples out of a hole like that? Yep. Uh, with any couple or any person I work with, I start with, with them. What's their goal? They're going to know because it's not up to me to decide what's enough for them, what they, uh, you know, what works in their relationship. So I'm always going to go back to the couple and figure out what they want, what their goals are. But there's things you can look at and just in a general sense um, is, are you communicating about that? Does your partner know that this is really disappointing, that your behaviors and the way that you're coming to the sexual space is unfulfilling or, you know, or, or is it not? And so if it is unfulfilling, then, you know, talk a little bit about that. And then also, you know, what are some things you might be able to do? Is there some way you could compromise? Like if, if you know that, that you are quick to orgasm, then, and, and that's okay. You know, maybe that's okay with your partner. Maybe it isn't. Now there's, there's a whole other kind of uh, avenue there is that you can work on that, but let's say you're not going to work on it. Let's just say you want to deal with the problem when you come home, then you can look at, okay, well, we know that this is going to happen. We know that as soon as your penis goes in there, it's going to be over in like 30 seconds. So what can we do to make sure I get pleasures? Well, maybe that means that, you know, you watch, uh, the male watches the woman pleasure herself and that becomes that erotic space. And that becomes part of what your sexual, um, uh, relate, you know, your, your sexual thing is with each other. Um, maybe it's that, uh, that, you know, you go down on your partner and, and, sh and stimulate her in that way that if, you know, if that's how, if she does orgasm and that's how she orgasm and that's what she wants, then maybe that's a good way to navigate through that. Maybe it's afterwards. Maybe she really doesn't care about you coming so quickly, but she really wants that cuddle afterwards because that's the most important thing to her is that intimacy and that bonding and that connection afterwards. So whether you came in 30 seconds or two minutes or five minutes doesn't matter, but don't you dare roll over and go to sleep. I need at least you to be here and cuddle with me for a certain amount of time. So it really just depends on the couple and what the needs are of each person and then how you guys can work together to make sure that even it might, it might not be perfect. Is it good enough? Is everybody, can everyone walk away and go, okay, because there's no perfect and it's never going to be the same. So every sexual experience you have is going to be different. If you keep trying to get that 
heightened that golden one. I mean, everyone's got a few of those in their back pockets. Like, woo, I'll never forget that time. Right. But most of the time, <laughs> if we're, if you're lucky, you've got a lot of them, but you know, most of the time <laughs> it's sex can be quite ordinary at times. And so it's about what's happening in that space. And what does the sex mean? Is it about intimacy? Is it only about pleasure? Is it only about physical release is only about stress release. And so knowing what that is um, can help that space. I think you need to get into like live video late night consults with couples. Like, like you could imagine this, <laughs> this advice you're giving right now, like you could be in the room with them trying well, to say, right, now like, it's like a bit of live commentary. It's like a tutorial. It'd just be like, nah, right to the left, you, I'll get it, get off. That'd be, uh, that's a whole How other are you avenue. feeling? Does that feel good? <laughs> but what I'd like to do is actually help people be able to ask those questions themselves of their partner and themselves. Oh, right, yeah. I'll right, think it, like right. just in the early facilitation of getting <laughs> yeah. that underway, I think it could be beneficial. Uh, look, food, yeah. for, food for thought. And anyway. very interesting for me. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> or not. Or not. <laughs> but totally outside of the ethical guidelines of my profession. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you so never, that won't be happening. <laughs> there is, um, well, there is nothing's off limits on a purely online business. So you just never know where the world's going in this side of thing. Oh. Said, people won't have to leave the house soon, which you can't anyway. Now, Right. Can I just the, say, though, can I just introduce? Jack there that it is important to say that I, I I am governed by ethical regulations as a you know as a therapist and okay a, so you, you're not so I do up. I do adhere to those guidelines very strictly because it's important and it keeps okay. people safe keeps me right. safe and it keeps other people safe so so you're not just, setting just up hidden cameras or anything no even though it does you know the, the you know the the voyeur you know there's a little bit of excitement <laughs> in the thought of, you know if that's what you're into <laughs> however. <laughs> totally unethical. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I'm glad we cleared that up. I'll put it. Should, probably should have put a disclaimer at the start. So, um, <laughs> now back to the initial question. We talked about common issues that females bring up. What about the blokes? What What's some of the key trends you're hearing from them? Oh, blokes. Well, you know what's interesting? Performance anxiety is huge. You know, there's so much pressure. And when and I know there's so much discussion about this, and I know that there's other avenues that kind of link in with sexuality, which is mental health, um, societal norms, you know, this whole, you know, masculinity is really under a whole kind of, I mean, some people are trying to really revamp it and trying to, maybe for lack of a better word at the moment, but there can be a lot of pressure for males to act in certain ways to, you know, to have that super rock hard erection at all times and to want it at all times. I mean, lots of, when you're under that much stress and pressure at work and you're tired and you've missed people and you've felt lonely and isolated and you're not connecting, um, maybe the last thing you want is to actually have sex. Like that's really normal. But society says in a lot of ways that, that there's that common message that men always want it and they should always be ready and they should always be super hard. It's just not the case. And that pressure on men is huge. And then there's also the thing of like, oh, I came too quick or I'm not coming at all. Actually, this is really weird. And some of those things can be situation weird for them is what they may be thinking if they don't understand it. Not that it's weird to have that happen. But yeah, um, sorry, I just took myself off course there for a second. Um, so that's huge, the performance and the rejection. So, and I just wanted to clarify that, you know, 
lots of women feel rejected and lots of men feel rejected rejected so there's this kind of societal again myth about it's always the woman who says no and it's always the man who wants it but that's not true and you know if there's um there's plenty of women who are looking for more but the man for whatever reason like performance anxiety um stresses at work uh, and all these other things they're they're just not in the mood they don't have they don't have the desire so that's uh, huge yeah what what about uh pre blowing your load to it premature ejaculation you always hear mm-hmm. that in the news that's uh that's a pretty bloody obvious thing. God, you get the bloody, you can get tablets and nasal spray and all sorts of shit for it. Now, yeah. How common is that? Yeah, that, that can be quite common. It comes, some of it comes down. So the, we are starting to see some trends change. Um, normally it used to be, you know, people who were later on in life, you know, starting in your, maybe your forties and your fifties, maybe your thirties. Whereas that's becoming more, more of an issue also for, for the younger set. And again, it's all of these different things. So one is let's, let's look at how long you're actually lasting for because we're not in porn as much as people are viewing porn all the time. You're not a porn star. So (laughs) (laughs) unless you actually are, and then, you know, that's great. But if you're actually not a porn star, then you need to be realistic uh, about your expectations for yourself. And that can be hard when all the messages you're hearing and seeing in porn and hearing around is that you should be lasting this long and you need to pleasure your partner and we go on for hours and we've had sex for ages. But what is sex again? So it comes down to, well, sex can be a whole bunch of different things. It's not just about a penis and a vagina. So the penis and vagina part may last for a small period of time, but what about all the pleasure and excitement and joy that can happen around that? So... There's different ways to look at it. There's different ways that you can work with it. You can actually, there is actually um, different techniques that can be used as well to try and lengthen out the duration as well. So there's so much hope out there. You know, this is, this is why I love what I do and why I'm so excited about the service is because people don't need to suffer. Um, they don't need to, you know, there's a lot of help out there and there's a lot of ways that people can overcome some of these little challenges or maybe they feel like big challenges or whatever they are. I don't want to make any judgments about what kind of a challenge it is for somebody. Um, but there's so much hope out there and there's so much that can be done to, to make that ex- more pleasure and more joy. When you talk about performance anxiety, how are people just, it's more of a, it's probably a masculine thing where they're like, if they're, especially if they're young and like overcome for, by whatever mental stress that's making them not be not be able to get it up fully is there anything wrong with taking medication like there'd be i assume there's nothing wrong with it but people men automatically think oh i'm too young for that that's embarrassing is that a common feeling that you see you mean like the little blue pills? Yeah, taking like a bloody Viagra or Cialis or yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think you need to be careful. I mean, I'm not a medical doctor, so I, I you know, I'm, I'm cautious about talking about those things. Obviously, to get those pills, you need to have a consult with your medical doctor. However, you know, sexologists do work in tandem with doctors and other professionals as well um, as a kind of holistic service with people. Um <laughs> One, you have to be really careful about how you take that medicine. So, you know, it's not just a matter of popping that and everything's going to be fine. You know, you've got to, there's there's certain ways that, you you know, you've got to follow directions. So there's, you know, 
limitations on drinking, time frames, but then you also still kind of need to want to have sex. So if you are not attracted to your partner anymore, if you actually really are not interested in having sex with this partner and you're popping a blue pill in the hopes that you can um, make it through, then chances are you might still not have a very good experience because you actually still need to want to be with that person. So do you think so, the, the bigger focus is trying to find the underlying mental reason of why this is happening rather than sugarcoating it and covering it up with medication? I wouldn't say, I don't think I have a hard and fast with it really. And it's not only psychological. Some things really are physical. You know, some people have certain operations that they've been through or just functioning. I mean, bodies function in different ways and functionality as we age decreases. So that's just a natural part of the aging process as well. So that's why it's really important to discuss this with professionals because there's no one easy way. So it's hard for me to kind of just throw something out here because there's so many, you know, there'd be a lot of information that would be gathered before you'd come up with a hard and fast um, conceptualization of what's happening. And then that could be wrong too. So it's really, it's so dependent. People are so different. And so there's, you've got to look at all the different pieces that come together for the person who's sitting in front of you at that day and time. And so, so some, some people have like situational, like, you know, always with my partner, I find I'm not getting, can't get hurt, or it just doesn't last very long. That could be, no, not always, but that could be more of a relationship issue because then maybe if they see somebody else out there or they hook up with someone else, not a problem. And that's how some infidelity happens. It's like people are just wondering, like, have I lost it all or is this just situational? So some can be more long-term and more... Um, What's the word I'm looking for? Uh, I've lost it. Anyways, some things are more situational and some are, some are longer, more deep set things. So, yeah. Is Does that, I answer is, your question? Is that, is like, look, is that a common, a common thing that, you know, people can get stagnant, so stagnant in their relationship, their marriage, their, their long-term relationship that they, the, the, they get to the stage where they start thinking of having sex elsewhere and they end up having sex elsewhere sure sure um i mean depending on how you conceptualize infidelity um the numbers go from like you know 25 percent to 75 percent of couples one person at least one person being uh, you know unfaithful depending see and it really depends because i mean your view of infidelity and my view of infidelity might be different like maybe for you it's you won't sex, you won't look, you won't do porn. Like you, you know, it's this whole host of things that, that is cheating. Whereas my view may be quite different. Mine might be, you know, I don't mind if you do it here or there at that time with that person, but heaven forbid you do it with that person. It really just depends on whether you have um, a monogamous or non-monogamous relationship, but even in non-monogamous, non-monogamous relationships, you can also have infidelity. So, I mean, it's, I wonder if it's becoming clear about how fluid and how varied mm. all of this is. Yeah, and that there very is, different. And this is what it brings back to is how normal and how there's no one shoe fits all. How, how common are uh, non-monogamous relationships in, in Australian society? It's from For <laughs> me personally, I look at it and I'm like, oh, that's just weird because I'm I'm a monogamous. I've, I've mm-hmm. never, never um, been unfaithful to my wife i never will be but that's mm. that's me like that's as you said yeah. that's, that's just my view but how common is 
the other the other end of the spectrum where people have a sense of open relationship. Right. I oh geez, I don't have the stats on that. And it'd be interesting to find out because I think as we're becoming as a as a culture more aware of it and a little bit more open to these these different ways of of being in relationship with each other, that people are becoming a little bit more open about sharing it. Now I think it probably went on a lot longer than before we started talking a lot about it. But it was so taboo that you, you daren't speak about that because people look at you like you've got three heads or that you are just, you know, some um, dirty, sex-crazed someone or other, or that your relationship, your primary relationship doesn't mean anything, which for most people is not the truth. You know, it's not that they're going and seeking something. Um, well, there's so many different reasons why people might even be in a non-monogamous relationship. So, I mean, that's just a whole, that's a whole other conversation in itself. Um, did I answer your question? Oh, I think, I think it's, it's just interesting highlighting the fact that these relationships exist to people that probably are a bit naive thinking that they don't exist. Yeah, yeah. And look, infidelity in itself is, is interesting. You know, a lot of people like to assume that people are unfaithful and it means that there's something wrong with the relationship. Where so many, so many times it's got nothing to do with that. It's actually about the person who has made the transgression. It might be more about something in themselves they've felt they've lost or need to reconnect with. Or it could be, um, you know, the death of someone close. And it's like, is this all there is to life? This relationship with this partner where after 30 seconds he's done and he rolls over and that's it? Is this my sex life forever? You know, that can be a catalyst for someone moving outside of a relationship. Whereas um, when you can be more open and have those conversations, when you're better at talking about sex with your partner and you're open and honest, you know what your values and all those things are, then not that you're ever going to completely safeguard a relationship against infidelity because so many people who thought they would never have, and I'm certainly not talking about anyone specifically, but if they thought I never would, but then something happens, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, you know, they've been faithful for 50 years. And then all of a sudden they find themselves in, in, in this position where they are really attracted to someone and they move beyond that boundary that they always held. So it's, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's actually a really interesting area to, to learn more about because there's so many myths about it. It, it's it, all the thing. I guess the thing I've learnt today, and probably everyone else has. There's just no black and white when it comes to there sex. Isn't. It is just there's so many shades of grey in between. And what what might right. be black and white to some people is just a totally different black and white to other people. Right? Yeah. yeah. How it's fascinating. How, <laughs> it is. It is fascinating. Uh, now, can you, if if say a couple comes to you? Mm -hmm. or a range of couples come to you is it from your perspective can you just see sometimes you're like this couple just is not right for each other and they never have been um how to end? i think it really depends i mean some couples just were never met but but not often I'd say most of the time it really comes, do the people want to be there? I mean, if you've got two people and they do not want to be together, why on earth would they stay together? 
you know, I mean, maybe they have their own reasons, but you know, maybe part of the help there is to figure out what the next step is. But for most people, they're usually they're in therapy. Well, that's not always true. Some people go to therapy as a last ditch. It's mm. like, all right, I try to, to show, like, they, show one, they've done one, something. Yeah. One person really wants to keep the relationship. The other doesn't. So they go and it's actually a way to kind of un to break up, you know, like last ditch effort didn't work. That's it. We're done. But a lot of people are actually coming to see someone specifically because they do want things to work out. They're just, they need some support on how to do it. You know, we can't, when you think about how taboo sex is and how we don't learn so much about it, like expecting people to know how to navigate these spaces when uh, we don't see a lot of good examples anywhere. You know, it's, it's a big call. It's like asking people to, you know, you're like, oh, just get some exercise and do a really great workout training. Well, if you've never learned what the equipment is or how many reps you should do or things like that, well, how are you ever supposed to know what a good workout is? So same kind of thing. And I guess in a, kind of a broad description in some ways, but does that make sense? Like um, most people yeah. want to know how to do the workout, but they just don't know where to start. Yeah. Yeah. Because do you think a lot of, couples uh when they like say when they got married and look i can speak mm. for myself here because i nearly bloody did it but uh <laughs> and it wasn't even me that uh broke it off which is the funniest part but um you find that the the person that you're with at the time of your life that you think you should be getting married you're like right okay this this is it this is it for me whether you th- just you're getting married at that time just because you were with that specific person. Right. So that sounds more like um, it was a function of kind of societal norms. You go to school, you, exactly. go and you get this, yeah. you get a job, you have, but you get married, you have kids, that, that. I mean, yeah, I dare say there, there are probably lots of people who find themselves in that position. And then, you know, maybe five, 10 years later, I go, who on earth did I end up with? Yeah. Yeah. And look, <laughs> yeah, did- even like you, you, you listen to, a lot of people say, "You look, I got married, but I knew it wasn't going to last from the start. Even when I got married, you're like, what the hell? But it's amazing how the hole you can find yourself in that you feel like you can't get out of. It just becomes routine and the norm. Yeah, and especially when you bring in, um, you know, I think some people find themselves stuck, not stuck, but remaining in relationships because to to – end the relationship would bring more turmoil than staying in the relationship. So even when you think uh, different factors, financial factors, um, seeing kids, division of property, I mean, all those things can be quite overwhelming and probably do keep people staying in relationships where if they had less ties, they might have made themselves free beforehand. Does that make sense? Yes, yes. And all, don't worry about it, whether it makes sense or not. It all does make sense. Um, <laughs> What what I guess what message have you got to people out there that are maybe too nervous or too shy to approach a professional like yourself for help in their relationship, sex, intimacy, whatever? whatever. There'd be a lot of people that would be even just too shy to ask, I'd reckon. Yeah. Well, one thing to know I can speak personally is I just – I love this. As you can see, I can just rabbit on about this stuff all Rebecca the time. Rebecca loves like- sex. Moral, moral of the story today. <laughs> yeah, I mean, p- people the people who are in these roles are ready and waiting to help. They love it. They want to talk about it. They want to help. So they're they're not going to judge. So I think some of the, that fear is one. It's a taboo subject. 
it's it can be embarrassing it can make us feel some people carry a lot of shame especially if there's trauma and stuff that's happened in the past so i mean there's all these different factors that can happen but i guess what i would say to people is take a chance you know you can always you can always turn around and say this didn't work for me or i'm not interested in this but if if there's if there's something that you if there's something that someone wants to enhance or you know, increase the joy of, or get over some challenges of, because you think, oh my God, what would happen if this continued for X amount of time? Like where are we going to be in five years time if we can't get this right? I mean, that's a really good question. Like where are people? I mean, that's one of the things to think about if you're too shy. It's like, well, how shy are you? How shy might you be when, when you, when everything's kind of fallen apart? Would you, would you look back and say, I wish I'd had the courage to, to reach out for a bit of help? Yeah, um, I think I think knowing also so, that it's fully confidential is a oh which yeah, is, which is a no-brainer. But yeah, sorry, so much so that I didn't even think about it. Fully confidential. So I yeah. I take my ethics very seriously. So I mean, even if the guy who if I, I don't know if you sit with someone in in your machine that you drive, um, or the guy on the same team as you, if I was say for example, you were both coming to my service, you would never know about it unless you talked about it. Yeah. Right. I would, I would, it goes against everything that I stand for to, um, yeah, to break someone's confidentiality. I suppose you don't have a like photos up like client of the month. Like oh, God, all no. through you. <laughs> <laughs> I've, it's hard enough putting up photos of myself, let alone putting up photos of other people. <laughs> well, you might as well give your, your, business and your service and how to contact with you a good fucking plug now just another sex term right there a plug give us a rundown of how you operate it being an online service how to get in contact with you and look what what to even get in contact with you about about okay yeah so, um, so it's rostered relationships and I'm easily found at rosteredrelationships.com and, uh, slowly doing YouTube videos. Um, and I'm on Facebook as well. You can find me at roster relationships, both YouTube and videos. You can find me there. I'm a bit of a dinosaur, so I'm just finding my feet in those spaces. Um, and then, so what I currently, what I'm offering is, so I've got three packages at the moment. So you've got the quickie. And that's where people want <laughs> right? I love it. <laughs> Who doesn't like a good quickie, right? Oh, that's so you awesome. got the, So you got the quickies for people who have maybe they're just, maybe it's for the people who are like, I'm not sure. Do I need help? Don't I need help? Do I need lots of help? Is do I need coaching or do I need therapy? So or do I have a concern? I have a question. I have a fantasy I want to explore with someone. Am I normal? Is this normal? You know, these kinds of questions or, you know, what are my attitudes and values or why, why am I the way I am? So these are things that you can really, or you want to explore, like maybe someone wants to start going to um, swingers clubs, but they're not sure how to navigate that. I mean, there's so many different things. I mean, you think about it, sex and relationships, you, we can talk about it. Um, and so with the quickie, it's a it's, it's two separate so everything's online or via 
um, the phone, depending on what's, uh, you know, if someone's on site and they don't get very good reception on the video, then maybe they just want to do it over the phone, you know, or maybe someone doesn't feel comfortable to be on video, but super happy to chat on, chat on the phone. So there's a, there's a, there's a couple sessions there in between. We can have some email access, you know, like with questions or follow up and then, and that's the quickie, you know, it's, a little bit quick, a little bit in, a little bit out, but really great, really great experience if that's what you're just in for, for um, uh, just a, a little bit of attention. And then I've got the Deep and Delicious solo and the Deep and Delicious for the couples. So that solo is for people, it, let's face it, there's lots of singles out there. So let's say, for instance, even, uh, you know, sadly, I think we all know a lot of people in FIFO data relationships where it, it didn't make it. You know, the, the pressures of the lifestyle and, you know, maybe other factors as well, um, the, the relationships ended and someone's like, you know what, I'd really like to be in a relationship again. But like that last one didn't work out. There may be some fears. There may be maybe um, a desire to maybe look at themselves a little bit and say, what part did I play in any of this stuff? And are there things I can do differently? Or, you know, what are my goals? Maybe I want to get back out and into the single world, but I don't know how to do that. So the deep and delicious just gives that little bit more time to explore what, what your goals are and then the time to work on that. So it's six different um, sessions and then working in between like asking, you know, questions and things. And uh, because I'm, I live and breathe and love all this stuff. You, you know, I, uh, I give a lot of extra support in between. So like, here's a video you might watch. Here's, here's a, a, an article you might read. Here's an idea. Here's a technique. Here's a, some, you know, like all of these different tools and techniques I have that, you know, maybe that doesn't come into the actual one-on-one -on -one session that we have, but I know it's really going to support you on your next step. So I can pull all those things in, in that in between time, which gives you time to digest it and then also do whatever you want there. And then you've got the couples package which I love because it's, I, I think it's, um, it's a bit of a unique package out there. A lot of the times couples work is together. And so taking the uniqueness of our lifestyle, that's, you know, to, that can be a challenge to always be on the same page at the same time. And because coaching, I've set this up so it's not therapy. I mean, if people have some really serious, if they're about to break up, they should not be coming to roster relationships for their couple stuff. But if they have some challenges, then definitely, you know, I'm a great person to come and see. So let's say, for instance, let's take the example you took. So uh, the couple comes together and they're like, okay, I'm so excited. He comes home, we have sex for 30 seconds and he rolls over and he's asleep. So we, we could brainstorm, I guess. So we spend a bit of time talking about that, picking some of those things out. And then together, the two people and the couple will come up with what their goals are. And the goal might be different for the man than it is for the woman. So the woman might be like, Hey, maybe I need to, maybe I'm not so comfortable talking about what I need. So maybe I need to work on some communication about talking about what I need. Maybe I need some, uh, maybe I need to learn what physically I like. Maybe I need to do some masturbation training. Maybe I need to learn um, to explore myself a bit more so then I can communicate that back to my partner. And then the other partner might be, well, maybe he, the partner needs to work on um, shared experiences and how to expand the repertoire of what sex means. And so, you know, everyone, each person might have the different things that are going to make that goal more achievable. And, and can do that in separate time because 
of the lifestyle that we lead. And then you come together at the end to say, okay, what did we achieve? How did it work? What are some of our next steps? Do we need any more support in between? Let's let's get into it. They'd be like, right, let's go, like, yeah. let's go spend a day in the bedroom. I'll tell you, oh, <laughs> mate. I'll tell you what. After talking about this for nearly uh, nearly two hours, I'm going straight inside and I'm going to hit the missus up, <laughs> throw the leg over. I'll see. I'll go. I reckon she'll say no, but uh, we'll we'll see how we go. <laughs> mate, yeah. Rebecca, thanks so much for having a yard today. This is. Uh, this has been an awesome episode. I reckon, trust me, you wait to see what I'm going to name the episode and it'll get everyone's <laughs> attention. Can't it's wait. very, very short and sweet. Um, I'll put all the links up to your website and everything on the posts and, look, hopefully some people come come your way and bloody get get rooting a bit more would be the uh, <laughs> best way to put it. It's, uh, no, thank, thank you very much. I've had a bloody ball. Thank you, Matt. I've really enjoyed it as well. Uh, good stuff. Uh, stay safe up there. And uh, well, uh, as you said, and also <laughs> Rebecca is uh, now offering isolation coaching as well, if you'd like to. <laughs> yeah. uh, little sideshow there. Through the coronavirus. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, oh, Rebecca. Goodness. Thank you very much. Thank you. Too easy. Good on you, Rebecca. I hope everyone's feeling nice and frisky after that episode. Some bloody good info. And as I said, make sure you check out her website, rosteredrelationships.com, and uh, give her a buzz if you want a bit more action at home. Rightio. Hooroo, everyone. Stay safe out there. Use protection.